This is Murder and Alliance, an active investigation into who killed Avon Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. Hey y'all, this is the Q&A episode that I have advertised. The team and I were live from Alliance Ohio this week, answering your questions and talking about the case. We got so many good questions beforehand and during the show, so it was hard to answer all of them, but I promise if we didn't, they're addressed in future episodes, specifically ones about Joe and other persons of interest. We just can't give everything away yet. And a couple of quick notes, our internet in our Alliance Hotel is terrible. So I'm sorry that I personally sound a little robotic. I was having a tough time with that. We're working with what we have out here. Otherwise, it was a great conversation with amazing people. And I hope y'all join us for the next one. Can people hear me? Yes. We hear you, Maggie. We see you too. We did it, guys. All right, I think we've got everybody here now, finally. Yeah, Jason, your windows look rainy. Yeah, it has been thunderstorming off and on here in uh, Austin, Texas. I think they're trying to fill up Lady Bird Lake so everybody can have fun. But uh, in the meantime, if you go out there, you will get struck by lightning. (laughs) It is uh, thunderstorming. Wow. So there are, so Josh McComb is in here. People heard him in the podcast. Hello, Josh. Um, Aaron Case, our legal intern, is here, who is freaking amazing. I'm just trying to shout out people that I know from the podcast. Oh, well. Hi, Josh. Hey, Aaron. Cool. Yeah, so we have a lot of people writing really good questions. Um, so I'm basically going to be like the moderator, and people are very welcome to ask questions in the sidebar. So why don't we start with uh, get everyone to introduce themselves. I'm Sue. I'm David's wife. I'm his advocate of 22 years. That's why I look a little crazy. <laughs> 22 yeah, years will do that to you. Yeah, you've done an amazing, uh, very difficult job for 22 years. And we were saying today in the car that we wouldn't be able to do this without you. Um, all the work that you put in beforehand. So thank you for that. No problem. Um, yeah. And, and Jason, who are you? Uh, yes, I work with uh, John and Danny uh, with Proclaim Justice. Uh, to make the long story short for Reader's Digest. <laughs> but, you know, uh, John and, and Danny and I, we all we have a history that goes way back from John, you know, fighting to get me free, you know, in, in a similar situation what David's in right now. So um, help, hope it, it carries you a long way. And moral, moral is, you know, that people people get you will get you through it. And so we're, we're, we're about getting David home. Yes, 18, 18 and nine. So I know what Sue's gone through with 20, uh, partially, you know, not 22 of it. So it's a long Close enough. Uh, yeah, it, it, it has its toll. There's many uh, trials and tribulations you go through. You know, and everybody yeah. goes through it together in their own way. So thanks for being um, um, or support, you know, for David there. Thank you. And uh, then we have our amazing 
P.I.s. Are we going to listen to Cher? <laughs> we, we, I only listened to Cher the first morning of the first trip that we're on the ground in a case. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah, but I love Cher, and I make no apologies. I'm a metalhead, but uh, I love Cher. I don't care who judges me for it. Mm. All right, so that's all of us. And then, of course, I am Maggie, um, host of the podcast and journalist. So I'm going to pull up some questions. Um, basically, the biggest question that we had, and Sue knows this is coming, so this is really pointed at Sue, is um, why didn't any of the appeals hold up? Yes, there were appeals. There was a habeas. He's been through the entire process. That's why episode one was called Dead in the Water. Um you know, that's that's what he said to me when I first talked to David. His case is dead in the water and he's used everything up. So people want to know, Sue, you know, why was George Hale denied as a new witness? That seems really credible. That seems like something that could very likely, you know, overturn a conviction. It seems like they were just negating everything we brought up. I mean, George Hale, that was huge. And they said, oh, well, he wasn't reliable. Says who? I mean, what are you quoting to say that? You're just... Deciding he's unreliable because it doesn't suit your purposes. And who said he was unreliable? It was the prosecutor? Well, I know John Leach, the policeman, did. He said that on Dwayne Pullman's newscast. He did. He says he couldn't remember why, but he just remembered that he was unreliable. And I found George very reliable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the story never changed. It's been 22 years. He's telling the same story. Yeah, from talking with Dwayne, um, he's he believes everything George said he saw. Um, so, you know, Dwayne's a seasoned journalist and thinks that he's reliable. So what, um, you know, so he had his direct appeal. Yeah, uh, he, yeah, he did all, he did the direct appeal and then he did the appeal to the state of Ohio and state of Ohio wrote one sentence, turning him down. They didn't even, they don't have to do anything, but say no. Which in direct appeals is usually pretty common because it's not like there's much new evidence in a direct appeal. Yeah, it's got to be procedural. Right. And as long as they kind of, sort of, did their job, you know, it's hard to appeal anything. They say he didn't call any witnesses. Well, that was just his strategy. So as long as they say strategy, they get away with it. But we found new evidence. So we started presenting that in a post-conviction petition. Uh, Well, we just, we did the first one just to get their foot in the door so that the the time didn't shut on us. We had a year to do it. And so we put something in ineffective assistance of counsel and that they manifest way to the evidence. So we put that in to keep the door open for us. And then we could appeal. I mean, we could add to it, amend it. And since they had no intention of answering it ever, we amended it three times. We found George, Joe recanted and Oh, and when we found George, the lawyer put him in with the wrong name. They gave him a new last name. So we had to we had to change that. Yeah. And so Michelle um, is a good friend. She does amazing work. She is a prosecutor in Long Island, New York, um, where I'm also from. And so she's saying in the chat, um, direct appeals only encompass what was done at the trial. If it's not right. direct, it's not part of the direct appeal. And ineffective assistance of counsel is one of the hardest claims to win because basically you are, you know, given a, a right to an attorney, but that doesn't mean you're given a right to a good attorney. Right. Um, 
So direct appeals are hard, but so he went through his habeas as well. Yeah, yeah. they they w- they filed for documents and they got that and they started interviewing people. They took depositions of all the police officers and they seemed to think it was a big chuckle fest. I mean, they giggled through the every statement they ever gave and I mean, nobody seemed to take this seriously. I heard early on that they were considering this a throw, these two guys a throwaway because yeah. nobody cared about them. Um, and Joe basically has no legal claims because he made deals. Right. He has no way to get back in court. So someone um, sent in the fact that a trial can even take place on an investigation with this many procedural mistakes, lack of investigation, due diligence, deliberate omissions, Direct conflict of interest and incompetence is a red flag failure on our legal system. Where is the accountability within the system? And I would direct this to John and Danny. Like, looking into this case now, I mean, can you talk about, address some of that? Like, you know, what have you found in the, what you guys have worked on and done and what the detectives back then have done? Well, I mean, I think anybody can look at, anytime you have the chief of police bringing his date into a crime scene, uh, yeah. that's, that's a big problem. Um, we have photographic evidence. We know that detectives were leaving bloody, uh, footprints at the crime scene. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of different things that they did, in my opinion, that were at the crime scene, just completely, um, inept, um, potentially corrupt. I don't know, but could certainly inept and how it goes to trial is really up to the prosecutor. I mean, you know, if, if, if they want to bring charges, they're going to bring charges and right. it happens all over the country all the time where we have cases brought to trial that are so weak, that have so many glaring errors in the investigation has so many different conflicts of interest and all that stuff, but it's a real flaw in our system. You know, the, the famous saying is I can indict a ham sandwich and we see that to be true a lot. So you know, we can, I wish that there was a better way to do things and there probably is, but um, it's easy to bring somebody to trial. And Jason, can you speak a little bit about accountability because your case was so similar to this and your case was so dirty as well. Um, you know, y'all are working on a case right now that you have called the West Memphis 32.0, that if anyone wants to know about that, they can listen to season one, Unjust and Unsolved, um, but it's a lot of the same players doing the same things. I mean, Jason, where's the accountability? For real. Um, you know, um, in West Memphis, uh, the police department there were under investigation by the FBI. Um, when the crime happened that I was arrested for and eventually convicted for happened, the FBI reached out and the state police reached out to assist in the investigation. But because Interstate 40 there is a super major drug highway and the police department there becomes so used to raiding it and, and uh, keeping money and drugs and, and, and vehicles and whatnot for themselves and splitting it up that they didn't want any outside scrutiny. They're like, well, you know, we can handle this on our own, you know, and figure this out. And so they didn't want any help. And so what you have is a uh, culture of, uh, of, of criminality, you know, and not uh, credibility. And so if you have something like what, what, what was talked about just on the last uh, episode here, you know, or before that we're uh, talking about the psychic and you had the police officers going there and you had the psychic questioning the police officer and saying, hey, 
you know, what's going on? Why is she friends with all these police officers? What's going on? Why are all these police officers having these sexual relations with each other? Do they have a night? Did they know whose night that was when her body came up missing that they all looked at each other and say, that's such and such as night, you know? And so where's the accountability, the credibility? And so it's more like a cover-up ability, you know? And so intent, intent, did they intentionally walk a girlfriend through the crime scene to jeopardize it and to plant, you know, to make sure that you can't rely on any evidence from it because it's, you know, been tainted. So where's the credibility in that? And so we got to, we got to watch out for our team there on the ground, uh, Daniel, I mean, uh, Danny and uh, John, uh, y'all got to be careful out there police department because uh you know Maggie, uh, yes, you're there too. Um, uh, i live because, here you know uh, be careful because you know, um, sue has been for like 22 years enemy number one but um i've been yeah. chased through the graveyard i've been had my house shot at but you know to your point maggie with the west our, our other case of, or an, another case of ours west memphis 3 2.0 it just shows you that it happens all over the place. Yeah. Um, I would love to say that David's case is unique and it's not. I mean, every case is unique in its own way, but the corruption of police, the uh, corruption of district attorney's offices, it happens all over the place. And I'd love it if we worked ourselves out of a job because it never happened again, but I think we're going to be secure for a long time, unfortunately. So, Again, a lot of appeals questions. So this is um, not necessarily a question. I'm just going to read this. Who had the psychic tapes and should they have been given to the defense? Also, why is David in jail and not the entire Alliance PD? So that basically goes to qualified immunity. Um, So just my PSA for the day. We should end qualified immunity. Absolutely 100%. Is it Michigan right now? Um, If anyone in Michigan is there, they are doing something that uh, cops and prosecutors have to buy like an insurance kind of situation. Um, I was just reading that today on Temujin Kensu's page. If anyone knows about that, um, it's fascinating. But that would that would certainly help with these kinds of things. Um, There's no consequence, and they know it. Yeah, but yeah. you know, you mentioned the psychic tape, and that, that's so interesting because in, in all the various cases that we work. This is the first one that we've had audio of the of two the two lead detectives visiting a psychic and not only visiting a psychic, but naming by name people in their own department that they've got right. questions about as it relates to this case. So that the psychic tape was fascinating when when we first heard it. It's, it's unprecedented. Unreal. I've never because you leave they chose to leave Alliance and they went beyond even though they knew that David and David was a suspect so early on, they obviously didn't feel confident enough in David being a suspect that what it was weeks after David had already been looked at and retained an attorney that they independently took it upon themselves to travel, I think to the Cleveland area. Yeah. Right. Located a psychic and started dropping names of other suspects, which meant they knew that David wasn't a strong suspect and they had their doubts. Therefore, they, they the investigating detectives, and, and in their defense, these aren't seasoned homicide investigators. Uh, one of them we spoke with, it was his only detective case. First and last. Podcast too, but 
say that Samson, it was his only case ever. Yeah, he told us that he worked one case and that was it. <laughs> wow. Wonder why. Yeah. Um, so someone wants to know, did the psychic have any connection to Alliance or the case? It was from Michelle. Not that we know. We don't know who she is. Yeah. She was somebody that Mucklow's wife went to see. I don't know. She probably looked her up in the ads or something. Yeah. I would love to see her found out and uh, questioned, you know, not about her psychic ability, but just what she thought <laughs> about that visit and those detectives and, you know, and, and anything that may have not have been on the tapes. That Unfortunately, she passed. Yeah. She died a few years ago. So oh, okay. Ago. I didn't know who she was. Yeah. We knew we'll her first find name. Another and, psychic, and we can get yeah. him connected. <laughs> <laughs> we have a seance and see if we can bring her back in. That's true. Yeah, I'm yeah. not participating in this. Facing <laughs> Sue through the graveyard. Yeah. Oh no. Well, I found oh, out no. who that was, so I know who that was. So someone wants to know. Um, is was there any testimony during the trial from a forensic pathologist or a medical expert as to how such a small knife could with one swipe make a cut so deep? And I did mention this. Um, you had Brent Turvey look at it, Sue. And it, remind me, Sue, this one's for you, I guess. Remind me if there was anyone else who looked at it. But I mean, the wound was eight inches long, four inches deep, and the blade on the Joe knife was 3.5. So 3.1. 3.1. It was a pocket knife. So that is almost impossible to do that. <laughs> um, I would think. I'm not a knife expert, but that seems kind of unlikely. And so I guess the answer to this person is no. David's team didn't call any expert. Oh, they didn't call any witnesses, let alone experts. They called somebody who saw Joe buy a pocket knife. but And they, re they called David's child support attorney and they recalled the child support advocate for Yvonne. She asked to be recalled because she didn't like the way her testimony came across because she thought it was negative sounding and she wanted to be more positive for David. I would be wondering about on that knife, um, did they run any forensic tests on it after it was found to determine if there was any biological material retrievable from like the handle or whatnot and everything? But I don't believe they did. was so Their forensic testing was minuscule. It says I hear a voice. Not non-existent. Yeah. You know, no crime scene is perfect. Obviously, defense attorneys always attack the crime scene. They're never going to be perfect. But this this particular crime scene, and, and again, there's not a an abundance of homicides that are committed in that this police department has investigated, but there are independent experts that have classified this as one of the investigated crime scenes they'd ever seen. Aaron, our legal intern, said that criminalists found no trace evidence right. on the knife at all. Right. So, Sue, a lot of people have questions about Joe, and was there a hotel party? Um, you know, could Joe have paid for this on his own? So what do you know about, you know, how Joe could have paid for the hotel room? I think Joe's shady. I, he's, every story he tells is different. So I, I, as much as I tried to support him through the whole thing, I just don't know how because his story keeps changing and the truth never changes. So I, first story, 
I just, I was the trial testimony. And then when I read it and then knew what the crime scene looked like, when I compared it to the crime scene photos, I, I realized that what he testified to did not occur. So I knew something was wrong. So I asked him to call me so I could talk to him about it. Was it that you were pro you, you had a problem with his initial confession versus what he testified to, or just the specifics that he testified to in David's trial? I had a problem with everything. He, I, I read what he said, and I thought, this just doesn't make sense. What he's saying makes no sense as I visualize it happening. And then once I got the crime scene photos, I realized it made no sense. It doesn't match the crime scene photos. You can't be sitting next to somebody on the couch and still have blood all over the back of the couch. It would have to transfer through your body, and it can't do that. So I had questions. So I asked him the questions, but every time I've asked him questions, his answer seems to change. So Michelle wants to know, Sue, is there any way to corroborate Joe's testimony? And I do want to mention, because um, we haven't brought it up yet, there will be an episode about Joe. But And Josh um, McComb, who you also heard in the show, he's in the chat too. And there's like talk, you know, it's presented as Joe was super broke and never worked in his life and everyone gave him money, which is true. He was broke. But Sue, at the time, didn't he potentially have a job and could have paid for a hotel room? He was supposed to be working for a landscaper and doing some odd jobs. And what I understand is that Joe asked other people for money because he didn't want to spend his own. So if he was asking you for money, it's because he wanted to keep his own. Yeah. So, you know, is what do you know about a hotel party? I heard there, he told me he had planned a party. He had rented a room. Then he said that he told uh, other witnesses, I found that someone else was having a party and he was just attending. And other people have said he wasn't getting a hotel at all. There was never a hotel that the receipts were forged. I know Joe didn't forge him because, I mean, he may have signed his name on him. I don't know, but he's, that's, that's out of his wheelhouse, I'm afraid. So we haven't brought up another witness yet, um, but this is a really good time to mention. So there was some, a listener did have a question about this because the listener was on Patreon reading all the case files. So they did notice there's a guy in the case files named Daniel Rogers. Yeah. And he was walking by the house around twilight on the 31st. So around the time of the murder um, would have been after Jim was seen with her. Um, and he saw someone trying to, a man walking purposefully trying to get into the house. And again, kind he reached of, above the door yeah, to try to get the key. Like, looking for a key or something. Um, and again, similar to George, I guess didn't think anything of it and then went to the police when, you know, everyone discovers that their neighbor has been murdered. Um, so yes, there was an, a, an interview with this Daniel Rogers on 426-99. Just another witness seeing somebody at the house. Um, other than that, Sue, I mean, and Danny and John, I don't know if you come across it. I only have this one report that looks like he was also potentially hypnotized. Um, yeah, relaxation therapy, maybe. Yeah, the same thing that they were trying to do to George. But other than that, I don't know if there was. It seems like in the report, he does mention a lineup. Um, and he didn't pick anybody out. Right. 
So who knows what him if he was ever asked again, if it was Joe that he saw, but there was another witness who did see somebody trying to get into the house, allegedly. I would think if he picked Joe out of a lineup, we'd hear about it. Same with David. The silence about a lot of these topics are the, are the clue. I think so too. Um, and again, that's really just what's so glaring is there's no evidence against either of them except Rose and Chris Joe at the mall and saying he said that he was there to kill a girl. I'm sorry, I'm just reading Michelle. No hit or miss hit on a photo array or lineup is Brady, but should be turned over. Yeah, that his wasn't turned over either. Um, right. So was any of that corroborated? Eric, I'm not sure what that's too. Yeah, so Michelle's saying the biggest issue to her as a prosecutor is just none of these lineups and that thing was turned over. And we know about the George Hale lineup, the first one. This is in Dwayne Pullman's um, special. But Hale said he identified a cop and told Dwayne that that cop was one of the lead detectives that he saw leaving the house. Um, so no wonder that lineup wasn't turned over. Right. That thing's gone. Yeah. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on any of these witnesses or lineups? I think my experience, prosecutors, even when they have a signed confession, go to the most prosecutors. When they have a strong case, not only will they have the signed confession, they will bring in every bit of evidence, every bit of uh, biological evidence, every witness statement, everything they can, because they don't want anything that possibly get thrown out or discredited by the defense. In this case, they kept a lot out, didn't introduce a lot, and then kept the defense uh, in the dark on what on what exactly they had anyway. I mean, the strength of their case basically was a confused, homeless, broke 18-year-old's confession who changed his story throughout, as Sue has alluded to. Still when changing it. Still can't get his story straight. And that was what convicted David. Right. That's what's so grossly unfair because there's nothing tying David to this except Joe and Joe's just lying through his face. He can't tell the truth to save his life. Yeah. So, so Josh is saying he allegedly paid a hundred dollars on a penny. I don't remember if that, I know that was like what was rumored, but I don't remember. Do you guys remember if that was it? Yeah. It's written on the hotel receipt. They hand wrote $100 0.01 they said the the bill was like $57.76 or something and he gave them the penny so he could get a quarterback I wouldn't think to do that I would do it if it was 10.01 or something I'd give you a penny friends with Joe and Josh is saying right now Joe couldn't do that math which no. I definitely believe <laughs> I don't think Joe would think that or do that math no. <laughs> I would have done that math they can't do no. that just throwing down a hiding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. think he may have wanted a quarter for the payphone. That's true. Nice, nice catch, Aaron. That is possible. If the, you know, if y'all were using payphones, well, we then. we discussed that that it, maybe he needed to make a call, but at the same time, is he really calculating what his total is? Right. Even the one in the check-in process, putting down that money. I mean, we have a receipt. We don't know that Joe physically ever checked in himself. Right. right. 
We don't know. We don't know. We have the hotel manager testifying as to what the receipt says and the timing on the receipt that is odd. Um, and she said the hotel clock could be 10 to 15 minutes off, which just seems fucking weird to me. How does that happen? On a universal clock on a computer, it's 10 to 15 minutes off on one end of the day and 25 to 30 minutes off on the, on the other end of the day. That's, that's absurd. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to Tammy. I think this, it says Tam, so I'm guessing it's Tammy Alexander. Jamie, it's my Tammy. Do you guys have any thoughts while I read through some of these questions real quick? Uh, do we do we have a videotape of the hypnosis attempt or anything? <laughs> we, or, or we, have no, we only have George Hale saying this is what happened. We have no record of it at all. Oh, okay. They, they videotaped nothing. They didn't even audio tape most things. Yeah, I'm just saying that seems like something in line with what they would tape since they taped the psychic visit, you know, just the way they're going. The important stuff, huh? Right. Her so, parents. So I do want to go back to the hotel for one second. So someone just wants to know, was there really a hotel party? From everything we've gathered, we have no idea. We don't know. We don't know. We've never heard from anybody who has gone to the party. Um. And Joe didn't have any to friends anyway, so it wouldn't have, no. I highly doubt it would have been a party he was throwing. He was staying with the Enochs, his best friend Summer, and she wasn't invited to the party. Right. Yeah. So I, who knows? Um, Joe, I mean, Josh, can you uh, maybe answer in the chat? I mean, Joe didn't have any friends, allegedly. I mean, I know you hung around him because of David, I guess, but... Did Joe have friends? Um, and Josh, you can answer that. Someone in the chat wants to know, did Joe take them to find the knife? What, do, what John and Danny, what do y'all think about the knife? It's kind of mixed up. The knife has changed. The, the, the dimensions of the knife changed. The location changed. The, the, the style of the knife changed. Right. You know, they're, they're quick... A horrid crime scene. They're quick to discredit immediately that a knife was swiped across the pillow to wipe blood off of it. But then they try and speak to witnesses that may have information and, and push them into pointing out different knives that it was similar to. And like Sue said, it was the knife that was initially presented was a, a knife with a 3.1 inch blade, which could just, I think, scientifically even the pathologist struggle to find that there's any plausibility that that knife did the damage to have cut Yvonne's neck the way it was cut. The, Joe did take them to a knife, but we don't allegedly, allegedly, but we don't even know the circumstances around that. So that's something that we're is, is something that we're trying to chase down, track down definitively. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one that, and the pants. So there's a lot of questions about yeah. the pants. The pants changed color from, you know, from Rose's initial statement to her trial testimony. The pants changed color. Um, the style of the knife changed color or changed um, from one to the other. So there's some there's some issues there that we're digging into. And uh, yeah, the pants worn there would have just been saturated in blood. Yeah, if you Absolutely. see the photos, I mean, there's a reason we don't post them on the social because they're very graphic and, you know, we want to respect Yvonne and 
Um, but Sue has some on her website. And if you want the full case file, every angle of the entire home and living room and scene, um, they are again on Patreon. Um, but yeah, for, I mean, do you guys think someone walked out of there with no blood on them? No, no, <laughs> no chance. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you guys, you know, I think, I, I think Maggie mentioned this in the podcast, but <laughs> our first trip here on the ground, Danny's in my first trip here on the ground was back in January. And, um, if you've never been to Alliance, there's one main road that's, uh, you know, five lanes and, and just so well lit. And it is 4.2 miles from that hotel to Gavon's house. So the idea that somebody had just committed this brutal murder that was very graphic and very messy and then walked that 4.2 miles, even at night, on this well-lit road, walk right by uh, bars that were there for around the college, and and nobody really defies you know all credibility. All I went out that same night of the year and at the same time of night and put my son on the road in the same clothes, and I stopped in oncoming traffic and I took his picture, and he you would have been able to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And Sue, those photos are on your website, right? Yeah. Um. And Josh just said the white Nike jacket, that's what he was allegedly wearing. We know this jacket exists. He was photographed wearing it two weeks later at a birthday party. No way he had more than one. Yeah. 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 That seems to be something that we understand about Joe is that, you know, he didn't have a lot of nice, fresh, you know, Nike clothes and all that stuff. And, and the idea that he would have had more than one or that one did not have any blood on it, it just makes no sense. Well, Sue, can you talk a little bit about um, where he potentially got these new clothes if it wasn't from David paying him? We haven't talked about it yet in the podcast. Danny and I are leaning in to read because we're old. They were, they were Summer Enoch's clothes. The jacket. And the pants. And the pants. He said they were both Summer's. Mm-hmm. That's what he told you. He, yeah, he borrowed her clothes to go to a party that she wasn't invited to. Yeah, Debbie, I, I see your your statement there, and and I don't know if you're from Alliance or not, but you know the people that we've talked to, where you know, you're right, it wasn't as built up, but from what they all say, it was still extremely well lit, even back. Car in dealerships have been there for decades. Yeah, yeah, I would say now probably what 80% of the retail business and food business in this town is on state street. Uh, interesting part, a continuation of Debbie's point is that if, if this was a, an orchestrated, even halfway, halfway thought out hit, uh, hired hitman kind of cases though, as they alleged, uh, we had we've had Alliance police officers inform us there were two or three hotels in the vicinity of the McDonald's that was just at State Street right near Yvonne's house. So to have planned this out to put the guy at the furthest distance hotel at the time and to put him on foot after he pulls off this murder is, is asinine. Yeah, that, that's one thing that really jumped out to, to us as we really get familiar with the geography, the geography here. And as we talk to people, you know, there was there was a if they were really these great planners of doing this murder, there was one hotel that he could have just kind of ducked through the park right there and through a little 
right up at her house. Yep. So if they're really planning this out, then why are they getting a hotel that's four four miles away on the busiest road in well, Alliance? I'm not sure even today there's a hotel further out from the house. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight. It's Plus, yeah. it's several stories high, and these other hotels are like no-tell motels, those right. one-floor things. You pull up in front of them and park, and nobody would ever have seen him. There's no cameras there. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. Maybe it was the horseshoe in or yeah, something like, at the <laughs> coach or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it doesn't make sense. And someone, I think someone just came into the chat and said, how can there be no blood on the knife or the pants they found? It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I just said because it didn't happen that way. I mean, it just is no. it's possible. That's you know, the argument would be that it would they had been exposed to weather and stuff like that over the course of a few weeks before they were discovered. Um, but I don't think that holds any weight at all. I mean, we've seen a lot of crime scenes and a lot of evidence that withstood a lot more than that and, and got something out of it. I just don't believe it happened that way. I hired an expert and paid for the report after court, and he said there he would expect there to be some. He said there's no blood at all on either item. Yeah. Yeah. So we had someone write in who says I'm an otolaryngologist, a laryngologist, otolaryngologist, mm-hmm. ear, nose, and throat. They're a fucking ENT, <laughs> and they said I seriously doubt such a small knife could have severed cardioid or- arteries, trachea, etc., in one slash. Cardioid arteries have a very thick muscular wall, and the trachea larynx is composed of pretty thick cartilage. Um, yeah. Yeah, to me, I mean, that's why to me, like, I say this again and again, like, the reason on the podcast I talk about how graphic the crime scene is, because in my opinion, it doesn't look like it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it's it to me, it just looks so personal, the way it's... Yeah, I was going to say that too. After she was dead, and we believe drug away from the window and positioned in the living room floor, a TV was slammed and left on top of her. This was somebody really angry. Most hits, you don't have a whole lot of anger at your victim. You're there to do a job and leave. The crime scene photos show this. She ended up, after her neck, her throat was slashed, there are drag marks from the window, what, maybe 10 to 15 feet into the living room area with the TV ending up on top of her body. Doesn't make sense for a hit. That's why I don't think it was a hit. I mean, that's why it doesn't have the appearances of a hit. It was, to me, it, it gives the appearance of somebody that was very angry at her. Is that what you were going to say? Pretty much. So, so Danny and I finish each other's sentences often. Maggie's probably tired of it. No, I love it. It's great. I don't have to talk. Because when you guys were talking today about interviewing and how you're exhausted after interviews, like it just takes so much out, which I know Kevin, my partner, is in this room. <laughs> it's fucking Kevin? exhausting to be that mentally on. So it's really nice for me to not have to do it for this entire podcast. So thanks, yeah. guys, for, yeah. for letting me be kind of chill with um, But yeah, I know Michelle and Erin, like anyone is doing like, depositions or just like communicating with people having to remember what you said what they said follow up on that question fucking exhausting mm. um yeah we had a long day today that's uh, why i'm drinking wine and eating a cheese tray are, that maggie we are bought. drinking um 19 crimes wine and a really fancy cheese plate from the local groceries. <laughs> 
Uh-oh. Um, Good stuff. We might be popping the balloon. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So someone did say, I do not. So Jason, maybe you can speak to this. I do not understand why this shit happens. If there's no evidence against David, why is he still in prison? Um, it seems as though there should be some way to turn tables on the corrupt officers who were so obviously involved, their opinion. I bang my head in absolute frustration. Every new episode, my heart aches for him all the time. He has lost to his life, to live his life at the fullest. It, the post-conviction, that's the most lengthy part of time. It's the most hopeless, you know, part of any case. Uh, everyone has, you know, a right to a speedy trial, and you don't want to think, you know, that the police can arrest you for a crime and keep you in a jail, you know, for decades before you ever have a trial. But what you want them to do is, you know, to conduct a thorough investigation before ever in arresting someone, you know, and, and everything. But at the same time, you think if someone's out there is dangerous and committing crimes, you want to take them off the streets as soon as possible. But, you know, in like David's case here, you know, here we are, you know, 20 years or so after the fact, you know, and we're working, you know, to uncover the truth in the case, you know, asking questions that should have been asked, you know, over 20 years ago. And the courts now, uh, you know, you would think that their interest is in justice in solving the case, but they're not, you know, it's all about finality. And their goal is to make sure the case is not reopened, no matter what evidence is brought forth. And so that's a, a tremendous battle to be fought, you know, and, and even after you know, with, with John and, and, and Danny and, and you, Maggie, down there, you know, on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, you know, finding out the facts of the case and investigating and asking questions. That's just part of the battle. We still got to, you know, use that to get in the courts, you know, and use it as a key to, you know, open, you know, David's door. And that is another battle. But Sue is there and, and she offers hope, you know, to David and and. and you can't give up and he can't give up. Y'all can't give up for one another. And you have a great team here with Maggie and, and Danny and John, you know, fighting to find the facts of the case. And we're all fighting together so that, that, you know, no matter how long it takes, you know, you want to keep fighting the fight, but you hope that fight will be uh, one today, you know, as opposed to, right. uh, you know, we're in it. You know. and, and sometimes Jason, as you know, better than anyone, you just want to, not get fucking kicked in the teeth every time you're you're standing up to fight this fight, you know, and and right. uh, you're always getting kicked in the fucking teeth by the powers that be, you know, that just don't want to open up their minds and hearts to the to the fact that there was a mistake made in these cases. It's a great point because you're what you're saying is what there's always a they always have this perceived pressure from the public to solve this case, right? Get this case solved and put the guy away. And it's all based on public safety. So you would think that wrongfully convicted or people that there is a question on their guilt or innocence, that they would be, the courts would be very receptive to the possibility that a the real killer is still out there affecting public safety. But it doesn't matter because a lot of egos are so big that they cannot accept that they could have gotten this wrong. And because their egos are, are, are such, a lot of times they're not willing to take the chance that the real killer, and in Jason's case too, you three are free and the public is safer, but nothing's been done to solve 
that case and find who killed the three boys in West Memphis. Or they're not out take, willing to take a chance and say, maybe we've got this one wrong with David Thorne and Joe, which if, if there's the slightest chance they did, that would mean that the real killer is still out on the streets. Oh, just like in Daniel Villegas's case or Tim Howard's case, you know, you know, got to find who committed the crime. And even if we know who committed the crime, you know, convincing the state to go after them. And, oh. you know, there's a mentality I've encountered, you know, with, with a lot of uh, state actors. And it's this mentality is that, you know, everybody's guilty of something. And it doesn't matter if you're convicted of something you didn't do. And it doesn't matter that the guilty party got away with that crime because you got away with something and it doesn't matter that you're serving time for something you didn't do. And it doesn't matter that the guilty party is free of that charge because they'll get them on something else. And that's the mentality that runs them up, you know, that, that you know, ruins the uh, benefit of the doubt and, 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 you know, presumption of innocence, you know, in the pursuit of justice. So the chat is popping off. So I want to get uh, some of these questions answered. Someone wants to know, um, and I'm going to give this to you guys or, you know, whoever really, but um, how can we all help? What is the next step? Is there a way the public can help right now? With the system in general or with this case? Well, they didn't specify, but um, I'm going to say with this case, I think they want to know about David. I think one thing that's important that that we use utilize very effectively in Jason's case um, in Daniel's case in El Paso and in Marty Tankless case, uh, you know, a couple of my very dear friends, uh, sort of led the charge with Marty all those years ago. Public pressure has an impact. Um, so I think what we can do, what people out there can do is, uh, stay aware and probably the best way to stay aware with what's going on is this through Maggie's, uh, you know, various outlets. And if we, you know, if we come to a point where we believe there's, it's really important to make phone calls to the prosecutor's office or whatever, then be willing to make those phone calls. It's important. Write those letters, write those emails. So, oh. do, so sorry to interrupt, but I do have an email blast right now. Up. Um, you can find, I'm going to put the link up on my Instagram bio tomorrow because i have this link up right now but there have been a ton of people people flooding the ohio i i it's pre-populated i wrote it you're welcome to change it however you want just put your name i'm going to suggest change the um uh title of the email just in case they started filtering spam emails with whatever you know change the title so it does go through if they're filtering um, but it's going to the prosecutor, the governor, um, the, you know, whoever the fuck I put in Ohio for somebody to listen. Um, so there is an email campaign right now. Again, tomorrow I will have it in my bio, but I know I posted it in the Facebook group. It was on my Twitter, so you can find it right now. Um, but, John, you may continue. <laughs> no, I think that, I mean, what we saw, you know, what we've seen several times, um, but since Jason's here in his case in particular, we had created this environment that did end up putting a lot of pressure on them that almost made it to where they were going to face backlash if they didn't, you know, help uh, work through that case. So those things are important. What if you can't find who committed the crime? 
Well, that's going to make it harder for David, just straight up. Um, you know, as, as Sue's talked about, we've gone through, he's gone through all the appeals, everything. Um, it harder, but that's another time where we will do a full on public relations push everything that we can possibly do to put pressure on people to um, sit down with us and work with us and figure out a way that we can work through this. Um, but it, it's it's going to make it harder, just straight up. Um, Michelle says, in New York, Michelle, the prosecutor, in, your, in New York, you can always bring a post-conviction motion with newly discovered evidence. Is it the same in Ohio? It is from what what we've uh, we spoke with a, a lawyer just a few weeks ago, Maggie and and I did, and and uh, yes, anytime there's new evidence, you can bring it up, and you can file on the new evidence. And uh, Josh wants to give a shout out. Josh and Tammy want to give a shout out to Sue. Um, finding the real killer is why Sue doesn't sleep at night. Tam Tammy says Sue hasn't slept in two decades. Josh, it's time. Start. Sue just wants to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I just need a nap. <laughs> um, you know, if you're if you're local to Ohio, or even if you're not, I mean, I think even without the email blast, because that's going to a ton of people, they could truly be spamming it now. Take those addresses that I've compiled for you and just write the prosecutor individually. What what's up with this case? It's dirty. Listen to this podcast. Um, go to this website. You know, you can do those things. Um, and, and really tell them to pay attention. Yeah, and, and occasionally, it, it, very rarely, but occasionally it does, you know, all the years that have passed since the crime, there's new uh, prosecutors that are elected into office, and, and they have different considerations than the prosecutors did 20, 21 years ago. Now, often they're just all about protecting the conviction, uh, like Jason alluded to, the finality of the law that drives me crazy because the law should be interested in justice and not finality. But, you know, a lot of it doesn't matter the the new administrations that are in the DA's office. They just want to protect that conviction for finality of the law. And so it doesn't reflect poorly on their predecessors. But sometimes when we do have new prosecutors, um, they are willing to work with us in, in at least small ways that are helpful. Yeah. Um, so Michelle says support DAs who want to serve with integrity and create conviction integrity units. So this is something I learned recently. Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong. There are only four state conviction integrity units um, in the entire country. And the newest, I believe, was Michigan, which is what Temujin Kensu is working with right now. So this is very, very new, very small Ohio definitely doesn't have a CIU, but um, there is a new prosecutor in Stark County, Kyle Stone. He is a new prosecutor. He was sworn in January 4th, 2021. 21. He's wow. brand new. So we haven't approached him yet. I mean, he is on that email blast, but um, he's young. I don't know anything about him other than he's young. So maybe he's cool. Who knows? That's something that I think we'll definitely be looking into. I don't know, Tammy. His name is Kyle Stone. If anyone wants to do a quick, quick Google. Oh, unfortunately, David's prosecutor is a judge now. We did know that. We did know that. And if it does go, they would have to recuse themselves for sure. But that's also like to me, and to me, this reminds me so much of West Memphis is like the prosecutor is now a judge. 
And so the rest of the three judges in the county, even if they recuse themselves, are fucking buddies with this ju- other judge. So, like, what are the chances of them? I mean, it's just it's so. Well, but sometimes small towns creates dirty politics. So, you know, you just we don't know the answers as far as it relates to Stone. But sometimes those judges don't necessarily love each other. <laughs> you know, they 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 battle with each other in the past sometimes. Now, generally speaking, you're right, Maggie, but. I'm an eternal optimist. <laughs> so Tammy says, get the case moved out of county. That's what we did. And we were absolutely probably moved out of county. I mean, we would try for that. It's, for it's sure. dirty as all hell. Um, Michelle is like, uh, these, these are my words, but I can't fucking believe the ADA is now a judge. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's like incredible when you. It's just so gross. The whole thing is just so. She shot David with a finger gun during court. That's how professional she is. Yeah. Michelle, close your ears. You're going to have a heart attack. I can't believe it, and I don't want to. (laughs) We need more Michelles in the world. We do need more. Yes, we do. Good prosecutors. Absolutely. And then I always have Brett and Alice on. They are lovely prosecutors. I mean, you know, in the work that we do, they're usually the enemy, but there are good ones out there. There are. Yeah. So, there are. And uh, here's hoping Kyle Stone's a good one. She's the modern prosecutor, Rebecca says. Um, so what else do people have other questions? Someone sent in the I like bless this person. Um, actually, they put their names. It's Jen and Holly from Cleveland. Y'all are so amazing. But you wrote me a novel and it's very difficult. <laughs> To read what you have written. I know I answered a little bit of your stuff. Um, if you want to email me or something or DM me, we can get direct answers for a lot of these really nitpicky questions. So someone brought up blood on the pillowcase, the knife swipe. So again, if you look at the crime scene photos, there is a knife swipe on the edge of the couch that very clearly, and you guys can disagree with me if you want, but to me it is very clearly it is the kitchen knife that was found down the block. It's an imprint and a swipe. It's on a pillow. Yeah. It was on a pillow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that looks more like a kitchen knife than a uh, pocket folded knife. pocket knife. It's sure as hell not a pocket knife. It looked, yeah. And, yeah. But in Trump tried to say that that wasn't what that was. Right. They yeah. tried to say that that was not a knife. I don't know. Swipe. What, see, was it brought up at trial? They didn't. I don't think they thought it was either of the knives. Yeah, they didn't. I don't think it was even like. Really they called the pocket knife the murder weapon. So once they did that. But they tried the to was, discredit that that was a knife swipe of blood okay, on okay. the pillow. Right. There's also a footprint on her back. They stepped on her back between the shoulder blades. So that's completely disrespectful. I mean, yeah, you've just yeah. killed her. How? Yes, Michelle, the. Um, Touch DNA is something very, very interesting. <laughs> Michelle says, if I'm up all night reading these files, I'm blaming it. Michelle, just look at the crime scene. I mean, it's it's just absolutely disturbing. So on that, someone wants to know about Turvey. So ter- did, was Turvey or anyone else able to explain how the blood got there if she was attacked near the sliding glass door? Yes. His report stated that she was standing in front of the sliding glass doors, in front of the stationary one and turned slightly to this to the moving one and they came up behind her and slashed her throat and then they took her under her arms and that's why it looks like she sprayed everywhere because they turned her around and 
just as she was trying to go back into the living room, she her foot slid through the blood and made that big swipe on the floor. So they assisted her from the place of the murder, the injury to the floor. That's that's a that's a good point. It reminded me that Joe in Joe's confession, alleged confession, he says that he cut her throat. She after he cut her throat, which we know was she stood from the couch, walked to the sliding glass door, and then returned to ask him, why did you do this? Yeah. She had no vocal cords left to have asked anything. And right. she was bleeding out. Uh, you know, uh, a police analyst, a crime scene analyst said that seven seconds wasn't estimated until she was dead from that cut. Right. While her head is almost decapitated. Right. Uh, she, if you look at, and it's graphic, but you can, there are autopsy photos. She is decapitated. Tammy wants to know, do the investigators agree with Turvey's theory? Joe said he was on the couch. Turvey says he was at the, someone, whoever was at the door. I believe that she was at the door. Yes. And Josh makes a good point. The psychic says she died on the couch and the cops even initially said, no, she was at right. the door. Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's things that I understand that I'm not an expert on. You know, I'm good at some things and and I'm not as educated on others. Um, but based on everything that I know and have seen and with this case and over the years, it appears to me that it's pretty clear that she was at the door. Um, and the whole mechanics of how he initially said that he had cut her throat sitting on the couch make absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, but, you know, that is not my area of expertise, but I'll tell you, it just looks from, from some experience that, that she was killed at the door. So and that- she was clearly, I mean, there's a, there's a fairly clear drag mark through the blood, um, unfortunately. And we don't think it's a crawl mark. No, no. I mean, uh, again, I'm not. That's not my area of expertise. But well, it just I think looks if there pretty. If there was a crawl mark, you would see like stop. Like yeah. Stop. Th- there's stopping. a pretty big. It's, it's like if you're crawling, you're having to yeah, use your hand. Yeah, yeah. there were no yeah. prints, handprints right. that I, I saw. I just want to clarify that. So, yeah. so Tammy follows up. So that completely discredits Joe. How can we believe Joe in anything if a major aspect of the forensics discredits his accounting? <laughs> And then Aaron responds, Joe admits he was lying. Yeah, Joe, Joe is, you know, Joe's, um, he's he's a bit frustrating at times because he's given so many, not at times, but he's given so Over many different, time. I mean, he, he just, he just has, you know, I don't, I don't know what to make of that yet. I've got thoughts that I'm, you know, not going to talk about here right now, but it's, it's very frustrating the number of accounts that Joe has given. Guys, we have 10 more episodes. <laughs> we're only halfway through this. Really? Y'all, we're, we're just making it to Alliance in episode nine, y'all. We're, we got a lot more to do. <laughs> Is there anything in all of Joe's statements that remain constant? <sighs> nope. I can't. <laughs> just I mean, that he was at the mall. Just that he was at the mall. He was at the mall. He, this is what's interesting too, though. I'm trying this to read. Is, trying and I didn't even mention this to y'all today. When he gives his confession, he never once mentions Rose 
and Chris. No, never does. He mentioned Sam Pegg, but he does not mention Rose and Chris. Mm -hmm. You know, interesting, interesting part that stood out to me and John in the beginning was that when the recording of Joe's confession starts, he's basically told he's free to leave at any time. However, later in that con later in that conf confession statement, the cops acknowledged that he had already confessed to committing a murder, which if a guy confesses to admitting a murder, he should have never been told you're free to leave at any time, which makes us right. it was a stage, stage confession, right? I mean, it was orchestrated because you can't say you're free to leave at any time. Are you making this uh, a statement? Uh, at your own freedom, right? And then they come back and say he had already he had already told him he had, he had committed the killing prior to the recording. So, so Aaron makes a good point. Aaron is our our case expert, case file expert. Um, he testified he was too high that night to remember talking to them. So that that's how they the prosecution yeah. dealt with it at trial. That's right. Yeah. He was too high, but. Then they bring him back the next day, knowing that there were some errors and how that went down, and basically started That's over. There were two. There were two tapes of Joe. Right. There yeah. were two tapes on the fourteenth, I think, and then another one on the fifteenth. Sue would know better than I, but yeah, that's correct. And on the fifteenth, it opens with him sobbing. Yeah. This is so Tammy's compare. See, she says, "Can we compare Joe to Charles in the Ryan Ferguson case?" Interesting. We were just talking about Charles Erickson today. Um, his story changed multiple times over the years, even when Kathleen Zellner went to see him the first time. Chris and other people, Chris and Rose are sketchy. Um, yeah, people in this chat are not liking Rose and Chris a lot. Anyone have a comment? Chris, Michelle, what are your questions for Rose and Chris? Um, Danny, go ahead. What's well, been in the podcast? We've We've reached out to Rose to try and speak with her, and our plan is to speak with Chris too. But that's that's why we're here, right? We're still we're still working. Chris and Rose were informants. This is a comment. Chris and Rose were informants. Look for reward money and deals. That's your answer. And Josh says a hundred percent. Yeah, I you know, agree. Rose and Chris at all. They are hating on Rose and Chris. She sat in my car with me, and she told me she thought Joe is guilty because he shakes. Like he's on heavy drugs. I said he's got a palsy that he's had since he was born. And she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Yes, he, he does. Um, it's in the records. Um, Michelle wants to know, did they just inject themselves and maybe insert Michelle? I was like, are you asking about heroin? Did they just insert themselves into the investigation? <laughs> I'm going to be. Well, I think we can share this. What was interesting we found was that this happened March 31, April 1, right? That she's discovered on April 1st. Rose, facilitated through her mother, I believe, reports the incident early July, which would have been the entire months of April, May, three months, 90 to 100 days after the event, she decides she's going to come clean report this to the police that they had run into this guy in the mall who said he was going to kill someone. He was there to do a job. And then they, the officers go and speak with her. And then they obviously go and speak with Chris. I'm not sure what happened, but 
then Chris is suddenly arrested in the park the day after he speaks with the police officers on a drug deal that they acknowledged that the reason they apprehended him was because he had his hand in his pocket, which looked suspicious and looked drug related. These weren't patrol officers that were that arrested him. These were, what would you call them? I mean, they were not necessarily detectives, but they were not guys. They're ranking out. officers. Yeah. They're ranking officers of the Alliance Police Department. So within two days, maybe even one day of speaking with both Rose and Chris, Chris is now under arrest and remained incarcerated until two days after the conviction of, of David. And then he was released on time served. Sounds right? like a narc. Is that correct, Sue? Is my information correct? Yeah, yeah. You just described an, a narc. You just described a somebody who's making a deal to get himself out of trouble. Snitch. He ain't no snitch. I ain't no snitch. That's what he told me. I ain't no snitch. Um, so Michelle says, not the officers that would be making low-level drug busts. No, no. Um, not in a park in the middle of the afternoon because your hands in your pocket. Right. I said, did you have drugs in your pocket? He goes, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the cops were right, but it's just the timing of his arrest for being a little convenient is a little suspect. He was just in their office the day before. Right. They probably gave him a ride to the park. Tammy <laughs> says they were surveilling him. OK, time served, question mark. Was what was the charge? And Rose cooperated to protect her boyfriend. I think the charge was cocaine. It was crack. It was crack. Yeah, crack, yeah, crack cocaine. Same shit. Yeah. Um. Uh, someone wants to know uh, a knife and a sheath. A knife and a sheath. Yes. What Rose about it? Said there was a knife and a sheath. But Rose says she saw a knife and a sheath. I mean, we have the audio of her that that's that. She's describing a knife, and she says, um, you know, based on on the conversation, she's obviously physically describing the length of the knife in this audio recording, but she doesn't say how. And then one of the officers says about eight inches. So Chris, Chris's original description was the folding knife. Right. Chris saw the fold. Yeah. Aaron's Aaron is replying. Yes, Rose saw the sheath. Chris did not. So they have different accounts right. on this fucking knife. Yeah, I, we're a little punch drunk right now. Right, but it, it, we do remember this, right? That Rose's recollection is that David, it, it, a man had hired him to do a job. Chris's recollection was different. David's name was never, there was never a name. Not, not his name. No, not the, a man had hired him to do a job. Yes. That was right. And, and Chris's recollection in his statement was that Joe's, Joe's girlfriend had had sent him to do the job. Yeah. There, there's 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 a lot of conflicts with. Um, yes. Tammy says, oh, we have so many questions. So do we. Yeah. Eight inch and a folding three inch knife. A three point one inch folding knife Absolutely. is way different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's my hang up with that. Yeah. That is that is a big freaking difference. Yeah. Um Aaron says it was never closing. Rose and Chris were getting off work. There were timesheets. Yeah, they were working at a telemarketing place at the mall that night. Um they only worked for an hour and a half that day. Yeah. And yeah, they, they quit the next day. Early. Yeah, they got off early that night. Yeah. Um, 
So we're going to wrap up soon. We've been, we've been here for an hour and 17 minutes and God knows we are fucking exhausted. Um, so, uh, Laura wants to know this is random, but why baseball gloves? I think it was. The only gloves sold that night. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't. I don't think we have answers to that. Unless it was didn't have any blood on him. Right. We don't even know. If he, they didn't retrieve the gloves for us to even look at it. Right, I threw the. If if we believe what they presented the case to be, threw the knife in the gutter across the street, walked across the highway to throw the gloves in the McDonald's, then trekked four and a half miles down to the Comfort Inn in a white jumpsuit with a white jacket and white Nike shoes, without drawing any attention. I don't care if there was one business. State Street still the main street of this town. It's obviously not as developed. I mean, it's more developed than it was back then, but it's still the main thoroughfare through this city. We've been here enough to know. Wow, we're looking at it right now. Yeah. <laughs> you would see somebody covered in fucking blood. Um, Car lots were there decades ago. Car lots are very well lit and have cameras, which are not. And he says, I want a cheap grocery store cheese tray. This is- it's pretty awesome, Aaron. <laughs> It really is. Because it's nice and muggy in this room, and it's starting to sweat. <laughs> That's why I keep wiping my neck. I'm dripping wet. <laughs> yeah, Tammy, he didn't. Tammy says, didn't he walk three miles covered in blood? Yes, but no. <laughs> That's the story. That's the story. What is it, 4.2 miles? 4.2 miles. I thought it was 3.5. No. no I okay, I think I actually... I measured 3.9 when I walked it. <laughs> we got a, I think we I got, recorded 3.5. You got to I mean, drive around. All we know is, even if you're walking a mile covered in blood, like. When you go from her driveway. Let's call it four miles. Yeah. Let's call it four miles. That's it. When you drive around to Lake Winnipesaukee in the back parking lot, <laughs> yeah. it's a full four miles. The no-tell motel is in the way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, it's it's been a minute, but I thought we'd get to some funny stuff. Actually, can we get to one funny thing that happens? talk about this um oh no are we in trouble (laughs) no No, this is funny i don't think jason knows about this um so what had happened was if you google oh shit (laughs) you get this beautiful glamour shot of this woman that is you know two years sue's been using this photo and the family two years so uh, Sue alleged, like Sue didn't just come up with this photo out of her ass in 2000. Like this photo was given to Sue by somebody in the family, and you'll know what photo it is because we originally had it as the photo for the podcast. And Just very quickly, a lovely listener, <laughs> a lovely listener viewer, reached out and said, "Hey." That's not Yvonne Lane. That is model Summer Altice. And so day one of the launch of this insane, like, twisty-turvy, like, the whole case is bonkers. And now we go, what? Immediately call Sue. I'm like, Sue, you told me this was Yvonne. What is happening? She's like, it is Yvonne. David told me it's her glamour shot. So I encourage everyone right now to Google Summer Altice. She was a Playboy centerfold. Absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. This photo that everybody for 22 years has been thinking is Yvonne is not Yvonne. 
even her sisters post on their Facebook on her anniversary, missing my beautiful sister Yvonne, and it is model summer Elsie's. So it just adds to the mystery of Yvonne. Now Yvonne and her family somehow thought it was. I don't know if that's weird or what's still going sitting on. on Brandon's bedside table. It's it's on the son's bedside table. I mean, this wow. is like weird. This case is so bonkers. <laughs> when we when we first you contacted us and I found the Facebook page, I said, John, there's a photo of her where she is a knockout. Playboy centerfold of the 90s. And then there's some other pictures in which she just looks a little less made up. And you're like, well, I guess that's her. But damn, she's beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. It's not her, y'all. It's not her. And uh, we had to very emergency uh, change that photo quickly. But now we're thinking, hey, maybe we could get uh, Playboy model Summer Altiz to be an advocate (laughs) for... You know, David's wrongful conviction. We'll see. It's kind of funny. Um, I think it's possible that this photo originated from Yvonne giving it to somebody, right, Sue? I believe he used to go to swap meets, and you know how they pass out their headshots and things? I they I think they found that picture in his bedroom, and that he had gotten into swap meet and put it in his bedroom, and after he was in prison, they found it. And assumed it was Yvonne because it looks a lot like her. Uh, if she would have taken glamour shots, so that's the only thing David and I can figure out. It's it's not. I, I'm you know none of us have obviously met her in person. Even you, Sue, who you know. Has no, been, I never met her. But um, the photos we have, it could be her with a lot of makeup in a in a glamour shot. We thought. <laughs> well, we've seen glamour shots make people look completely different. So we thought, well, it's a heck of a glamour shot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, whoever did a great job. I was wondering why you just brought that up, Maggie. If she hadn't have found the photo, if someone hadn't have mentioned her, hey, you look like such and such. Hey, you look like such and such. And so yeah. she just got the photo herself and passing it out. Could you know, be. That's what I'm like, yeah, here's, a, here's something to remember me about. I mean, on my business card, I've got a picture of Brad Pitt, and I tell everybody it's me, and, and so far, nobody's They believe it. They good. believe it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt from Texas was just here. Someone said maybe it was her advertising photo. Erin uh, said that, yeah. it's. I mean, could be. It just adds to the mystery of who was Yvonne Lane. That's, that's true, and, and, and I do, just to bring it down for a second. We're going to I know, but but, but I do. Yeah. Who was Yvonne Lane? And that is a big mystery as we've been on the ground is who is Yvonne Lane? And and it does always draw me back to we've got this injustice of of wrongful conviction. But, you know, it's also we've got to we've got to figure this out for her. You know, I mean, she a lot of people in her corner based on what we've learned. Um, So, you know, we we've got to we've got to work for both. She deserves justice too. She does. absolutely does. She Her does. children do. That's they're right. all they're all here. Um and I not here, but I mean she's got five kids. They they deserved a mom. Um so yeah, definitely. Tammy says great point. Everyone's everyone's very excited about that point, John. Thank you. Because I think sometimes we do. Um we really uh, you know, I know I do. I sometimes am really focusing on, you know, the person that is currently living through the hell and 
kind of sometimes lose sight of the person that lost their life. So we'll conclude it for this evening, folks. Y'all did wonderful, and it was great to be a part of it. And uh, uh, thank y'all for being there, boots on the ground, doing the hard work, and uh, sending y'all support. And from back here at the Ponderosa, uh, keep me informed. I'll see you on Thursday, Jason. Yeah, we'll be Jason, up. this is, the, you know, we're here because, you know, you you got out of prison and with you and John decided, you know, you're going to help other people. So that's why, we're here. that's why this podcast is, you know, thank God going national. People nationally are hearing David's story. A million downloads so far. I mean, people are hearing us. People know. People are listening. <laughs> town is listening. People are writing. We want to help. Um, we, there will be more ways to help soon. Hopefully we're working on some stuff. Um, but do the emails right now, get those emails out. Um, if you have the time individually email each of them and pointedly ask them, do you know about this case? What is fucking going on? And I want to say that David and I appreciate all of you for all you're doing. We appreciate you very much. I uh, see so you're an inspiration. So um, you really are, Sue. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I don't even think that episode about you did it justice, but we're not here if it weren't for you. And I David, told David it was called The Wife. I said it was about me, and he goes, Yeah, I put that together. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was about Danny. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And honestly, of the cases we were, we run into so much, we brainstorm so much, we collectively go through and analyze tons of documents, audio, photos, everything. It is a blessing to be able to hit a stump, stump moment. And one of us gets Sue on the phone immediately and her have the answer for us. Cause we, in many cases, we'll pull over and spend two hours trying to find what it is we're looking for. And usually within minutes, we have that answer. And usually just I'm just going texting on. Sue. I go, Sue, right. where is this? It's send, pretty amazing. I know you so. sent it to me 30 times, but send it again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go on and on and on. And you're going, I got it. I got enough. Enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone is saying that Sue is really amazing. And Aaron, you know, who has, again, seen and indexed and read back and forth. This yeah. File. Aaron's doing a great job. Too. She says Sue has the most organized I mean, it is, and I've added, you know, what I think is okay to be publicly available again to the Patreon. If you want to see it, it is there. Sue is amazing. Um, and Michelle says, I've learned a lot from you all listening to the podcast that I can use in my own work. Good prosecutors. Uh, Good. Michelle, I, I just want to do next time I'm in New York, I want to sit down and have dinner with you. Uh, Michelle is a, is a legend. Yeah. She said you better. Okay. Deal. All right, y'all. Well, thank you, everybody who has joined. We really appreciate it. Jason, Sue, Danny, John, thank you for sitting with me until 1030 at night when I know we are all incredibly Can we exhausted. go get dinner now? I've been snacking on cheese. Um, thank you, everybody, so, so, so much. Thank you for supporting David. Thank you for supporting us. Aaron says Texas Roadhouse. You know us too well. We were there last night. Yeah, not three nights in a row. Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you, everybody. Yep. Thanks, y'all. Welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Au revoir. He's French. French.
coming up next time on Murder in Alliance. I know you have no idea who I am, but I have some interesting things that we learned about Yvonne's murder through the years. I know that someone as close as you, you had to have had a million thoughts run through your head wondering who could have done this to her. Who was there? Who could possibly know something? Yeah. Is there an officer that lived near here in one of these houses well, close I don't by? really want to get into all that. I mean, like I said, this is the end of this conversation. I know you've got family in law enforcement, right? Yes. Mr. Jenkins is a captain there. Well, hey, I got to go. You guys have a great day. Every time we'd reference police, that would shut it down. If these people find out I'm talking shit, I'm done. Came by one time, threatened to flip my throat. I've met the killer, and I know where he is, and I suspect he's still killing, and yes, he's a cop. Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. You can find Murder in Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder in Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. <laughs>